Welcome back to Four of a Kind podcast, where you will learn from real life experiences of amazing women and male allies too, who support our mission to increase women's representation in business leadership. You will hear from founders, investors, startup contributors, corporate leaders, and our own journeys too. We want this podcast to empower you to go start that business, take that big job, and do it with confidence. So join us and exciting guests, and let's figure out what we can do to get there. Hi, everyone. It's Michelle. Today, all four of us are here to talk about a topic which we are passionate about, female representation in business leadership positions and in the venture community. And I'll let everyone have the opportunity to say hi. Hi, it's Kelsey. Hey, guys, it's Grace. Hi, podcast listeners. This is Lauren. Thanks, guys, for joining. And today we will be sharing our reactions to the McKinsey and Lean In's 2019 Women in the Workplace study, written in partnership with Lean In. And this report is the fifth annual report, meaning now is a year in which we can start asserting, asserting, assessing trends and changes. This report is a great example of the work being done to bring data to the discussion about female representation, and it is the largest study of the state of women in corporate America. So we're going to start with a quick overview of what we read and then jump right into a discussion. Thanks, Michelle. How about we start with just giving a quick summary of the report, which we'll obviously have a link to in our show notes so that listeners can follow along with us even before they get to see the report. The big takeaway uh, from this year's findings is that there is what McKinsey calls a broken rung in the talent pipeline leading up to the C-suite. This is new terminology in addition to, it's called the glass ceiling, referring to the C-suite. This broken rung is the gaps that exist along the way. While we're here, a lot of statistics around the gender distribution at the executive level, and we talk about a lot too on this podcast, The research from this report is probably the biggest shift in parity for women occurs at the step in the career from entry level or early career into manager. So, of course, all these findings are somewhat related. But what this broken rung research is telling us is that to solve for the statistics in the C-suite, whoa, that is a (laughs) hard phrase to say. (laughs) We need to solve for female representation earlier in their career. For me, this study, I think, just reinforced the reasons we're doing the podcast and not to pat ourselves on the back here, but um, I'm going to. When we started this, we felt like there was a little bit of a gap in the discussion around women at that manager mid-career level trying to figure out the next thing, whether that's starting a new company or whether that's in a corporate setting or a larger company where there's really this funnel down to the executive suite. And I think by talking to women like at this stage in their career, we've been really digging into what are all the things that we found are successful habits or traits. And I think from the McKinsey study, if that resonates, it's like this is the exact point where it actually does make a difference what we do now in order for us to see change in the high level. Yeah, that was kind of a convoluted explanation. But my point is, I think this podcast fits right into what the report results are telling us. So way to go. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I'm excited to hear what you all think of some of the solutions that McKinsey talked about in their study. And if you've seen any of them working or what's working well, what's not working well. 
Were there any specific data points or stats in the study that jumped out to you guys? I can start. I think, I mean, the study was packed full of statistics. So, I mean, we could cite things all day. One of the things that I found interesting is that in a lot of the questions, the way they gathered information is through a lot of interviews and surveys. And they surveyed men and women as well as HR in a lot of these companies. And what jumped out is to me was not only did men and women um, answer some of the questions slightly differently, but actually more often the biggest difference in answers or ranking of choices or something like that was between the employees and HR. And so to me, even if you say you're going to implement a policy, people are interpreting that in different ways and people are reacting to that in different ways. I think there was one about what do people believe is the reason for this broken rung? HR leaders were saying the number one was lack of sponsorship, and the second was that there are too few women in the pipeline. But both women and men respondents thought that the second biggest reason was that women were judged by different standards, which is a very different answer than what the HR said. So anyway, that those data points jumped out at me. Yeah, that actually, that one particular question and answer stood out to me as being the most interesting in the entire thing. Because, I mean, like they mention, okay, here's the population of men versus women in the workforce at each level throughout an organization, early career, mid-career management, director, VP, C-suite, etc. And none of that was really surprising. I mean, they start out being almost 50-50. And then as you go up, it goes from goes 30% women, quarter women down to less than 10% of C-suite. And none of that is surprising to us. I think their conclusion is interesting because that broken rung where it's the place where all four of us are at. I mean, so we see it. That's why I think it resonates. Their conclusion resonates with us because it's why we started this podcast, like Kelsey said. But I don't know if any of their data points surprised me that much that I was like, oh, that was, that would drive that conclusion. Like Kelsey did say, that one particular question and answer of what do we think was the greatest challenge for women and HR leaders saying no sponsorship, which we've talked about, it's a problem. We know men saying there's not enough qualified women in the pipeline is disturbing. Let's just say that. (laughs) Um, And then women saying they're judged by different standards. I mean, they're vastly different responses. And so that was the one that I think stood out to me as being like, um, we have to do something about that. <laughs> yeah. One thing I also wondered was, and I don't have the statistics and it wasn't in the study, but I also wondered how many of the of these HR interviewed were women. Because I feel like there's there's obviously the fact that, you know, looking at it from an HR lens, they would have set some policies and they probably felt they were more effective than they actually were so that the employees weren't really feeling the same way as the HR people were. But also how many of these HR folks were female versus male? And I'm making a generalization here, obviously, based on the response that HR provided versus what women and what men provided. So I, I, I took a break, the report, when it first came out, I had to take a break the first time I tried to get through it. I feel like I have PTSD when I read these stats all over again. I'm trying to remain calm, but I was so yeah. mad. I was furious. 
not about my own experience, not about all the people who have interacted with me because I've accomplished more than a lot of what the report is reflecting. So not on my own behalf, but I got so mad because I'm like, this is not fair. And then I know life is not fair, but this is unjust. And so I jumped right into what can I do to change this? But before going to that, the one statistic, and I forget if it's from this particular report, because after reading the first half of this report, I was like, this can't all be true. And so I like looked into other reports as well. (laughs) Um, So I forget if this particular statistic came from this report, but I read somewhere that not only are fewer women getting to that first rung, but it takes them longer to get to that first rung if they do get to it and to the next rung the same thing. And so you have this compounding effect where it's increasingly harder or exponentially harder for that women to go from graduate of whatever program, high school, college, graduate, or whatever program, all the way to C-suite because there are all these other compounding impacts. And you guys mentioned a couple of the other statistics, so I won't reiterate them, but I was just so mad. I opened the door to my office and I like walked around the office. I I think I did three laps because I was like, I really need to take a breather here or else I'm going to (laughs) like yell really loudly and people will think something crazy is happening in my office. I know we're going to go through this report a little bit more. I just had to get that out or else I'd be like sitting here like rocking back and forth being like, I'm so mad. I'm so mad. So there are a lot of great stats to pull out and to use for the basis of discussion clearly. But I also wanted to make sure we discuss some of the solutions that the report presented as well and not just the facts that clearly like makes Michelle mad. So what did you guys think about them? Are there any that resonated, any that you weren't really quite sure about or... Uh, some that you have seen or some that you haven't seen and you quite frankly doubt? This is where I get fired up. Uh, Some of this was bullshit. I just can't. Unconscious bias training. I've sat through unconscious bias training and I get the purpose of it, but it is useless. Like not, at least not the way, not the curriculum that has been set up and, and is taught throughout a variety of organizations. I mean, obviously we get the point. They're trying to make you more cognizant of the way you interview people, hire people, the way you address people, promote people across the board. But sitting in very limited time, one hour trainings to address your every unconscious bias is next to impossible to be successful. And so I won't just bash a solution without at least you know, kind of saying what I would think is better. But I think a lot of the times people are getting promoted to managers before being tested in how they would react to a variety of different people. So they're put in that position. And once you become a manager, you get unconscious bias training versus, you know, maybe one of the necessary skill sets to get promoted to managing a team of people that is diverse and has a variety of skill sets is have to be able to actually effectively manage a team and and deal with people's differing family lives or backgrounds. And so I think putting people in the position and then getting them to be successful after the fact is is the wrong solution. Maybe before people make it to being a manager and having that kind of HR tested, so maybe you become a project lead where you're you're not administratively responsible for the future of your team, but you have to delegate responsibility to them. You have to actually see who you can put on a team to actually get a project done. And then if you're successful in that, that actually gives you some sort of test case where then, okay, you would be ready for a management position to actually promote, hire, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, there's more, but that's the one that frustrates me the most. 
Yeah, this kind of ties back to the point I was making about there being a slightly different response from HR leaders than from women in the surveys done for this study. Two of the ideas are to establish clear evaluation criteria in order to reduce bias, and then ensuring women get the opportunities to raise their profiles to be considered for manager level roles. So like ensuring that women have access to leading a project or leadership training or whatever it is that's needed to actually even be considered in the first place. The thing I struggle with with these two recommendations is that is the problem really that they just don't exist, these things don't exist, or that the culture around great, we should ensure women get the opportunities, but how? And like, what's not actually working now? Because I don't think anyone's out there stopping women from getting these opportunities actively. Or I mean, in some in a lot of circumstances, it's there's not a, a physical roadblock. But what are the very specific steps that would need to be taken? I think, Lauren, to your points too, like on the trainings that suggested, I think it's, we, we need to be more specific. And like some of the ways this has been done with like evaluations is sometimes blind evaluations, things like that, taking out the opportunity to present unconscious bias in a way. And I think that's maybe the thing that is trickling through a lot of this. And then I think the other piece goes back to when we talked about the personality type tests, where really understanding how people work and different personalities and so that you're not attributing operational metrics like success or failure from an operational perspective to based on personality type, I guess. So it's really trying to separate some of these factors out. And if you had a better understanding of people generally, would that help in evaluation, for example, like, oh, this person is quiet, or this person prefers to work in the morning versus late at night? Is that really telling us something about their ability to do the job? Or is that a personality type that we just would be better understanding and learning how to work together? I agree with everything that you guys said. I mean, Lauren, I agree with you. One hour of unconscious bias training, I don't think is is really going to move the needle, right? And if we think about even, you know, the start of the funnel in, in the hiring process, the typical way to do that, or the first part of the process is review applicants prior to even giving them an interview. And there's been a number of studies that show that this very manual process leads to significant unconscious bias, right? So one solution that is promising is there are startups popping up everywhere that are trying to solve for at least that first part of, of the recruitment, which is basically removing bias using AI and using data science to remove that bias. I don't know if you guys have heard of Head Start, but it's a London-based startup. It was raised like $7 million of funding to, to solve for this type of problem using machine learning and data analytics to really help companies find the right employees without actually having a real human reading their, their application and all that stuff. But yeah, I, I mean, that's that's just one potential solution. It's a much broader issue. And I think there's a lot that that's needed beyond what they're suggesting here. I have the same struggle as you guys in that I don't think they're enough to really solve the problems. After I walked that three laps after reading the first half, I tried to get through the solutions part and I got mad again, clearly. <laughs> really fired about that about yeah. this topic and kind of what you guys all alluded to these solutions resolve the symptoms as opposed to the problem it, it doesn't really get down to how we can change any of the processes that impact 
that first broken rung, right? So I, I couldn't get through all of the solutions, uh, frankly, because they were quite frustrating. And I'm like, okay, this solves the current issue for like the short term, but it's not a feasible solution for the long term. It won't change the dynamic in the workforce or change the the demographic in the workforce right now. So I sat down and I came up with a couple of my solutions, which was to, and I, I've been doing some of these things already, but I, I've become a bit more diligent about pushing for these things in general. So for the past, let's just call it two, three years, I started to ask women why they weren't asking for the same types of opportunities that their male counterparts were. I think that like many things in life, it's a two-way street. And I think we don't just have to put the onus on corporations and managers. We do have to put the responsibility, part of the responsibility on them. But I think we also have to put the onus on the women themselves. If they're not asking for the opportunities, they can't signal, they're not signaling to their manager that they want to try something new in that particular way, shape, or form. Those opportunities may exist, but their manager may or may not know that that particular individual is interested. So I have told the individuals on my team, not just women, but most of the people on my team, if not all, if they didn't hear me, I hope they're hearing me now, to ask me for those types of opportunities that they are interested in. So knowing what they're good at, Knowing what they enjoy are two parts of the puzzle and knowing what they want to work on to get to that next level. I think that's a really important conversation to have. And there are plenty of resources out there to help get that same vocabulary so that you can have that conversation with your manager or with your organization. I think there is an inequity to the access of resources. Kelsey, you kind of touched on this a little bit, finding that sponsor, finding the mentors, that's that's kind of an access to resources thing. But how can we, through this podcast, we're kind of doing that, articulating what's, what those resources are within the organization and those special projects. I talked about this when I was in Atlanta. There are lots of special projects that large corporations have that you can use to bootstrap yourself up to learn new skills, all of that, but you won't really know what they are unless someone tells you about them. And someone won't tell you about them unless they know that you're interested in that particular area. So I think there's that disconnect as well. And then lastly, one thing that I started a little bit earlier in the summer last year, but I continued with full force in the fall was creating this coffee session for women in the earliest stages in their career to talk about what I wish I knew when I was in their stage in their careers. Like what are the resources that I wish I knew about? What are the things that I could have done better in order to get myself um, in front of the powers that be within my organization. And I think that a lot of times we don't know what we don't know. And there's no way for us to figure that out unless someone who's a bit more experienced tells us. And so I just took my extra free time, not that I have a lot of it, but I was like, look, let's just have these conversations in closed door settings so you feel a bit more comfortable in having these conversations to ask me these questions that you frankly would not have asked otherwise. But if you don't ask this question, the three other people sitting next to you will ask those questions. So like, let's talk about some of these challenges that you're facing, some of the things that you don't know that you wish you knew how to get around particular situations. I'm hoping that even though these statistics may still hold true for us hosting this podcast, that that next generation after us will have the opportunity to change this dynamic because they're a bit more prepared than than we were. 
I think that's so great. I, and I think that's a really good point that it's not only what corporations can do and what policies they can establish, but that women, but really anyone looking in these types of positions need to also figure out what is needed and what it takes to get to the next level and do what it, what they can to equip themselves appropriately. I think the coffees that you're doing, Michelle, are fascinating because to your point, you don't know what you don't know. So I think the really valuable thing is these are the questions you should be asking, telling people the questions they should ask, not necessarily giving them all the answers, but this is the type of information you need to get. This is what you should be asking for. This is where you need to push. I think also reading this report, I just like had so many flashbacks of my own life where that would have been so valuable. Say, I think the other piece too, there's an aspect of you have to be a little bit vulnerable. You have to be able to put yourself out there and say, I did not do this right. I wish I had done this differently. This was something I was not good at. And I feel like sometimes that's also hard to get out of people. Really creating those spaces where you can have those conversations is awesome. Yeah, I think just the final thing I was going to say about this is about, you're talking about corporations taking, they have the majority of the solutions. McKinsey's given them a lot of a big job saying, oh, you should have gender targets for this, or you have to make sure all of your employees get this training. And so it basically, a thing I think that frustrates me the most about is all of these are very quantitative. It gives corporations the thought that if we do all these things, we check the box. We say, oh, as we've hit these targets, we're having this amount of women and this amount of men. Oh, yes, we've given all of these employees. Yep, we did. We gave them all the training. Yep, we've done the evaluation criteria. It's just very metric based, which is great for maybe assessing the problem and at a you know very macro level, probably the only way you can do it. But Michelle, a lot of the things that you are proposing were very they're very qualitative. They're very individual based. They're very like, how can I help you one-to-one with your particular individual mm-hmm. wants, needs, and vision in yeah. your, for your career? And like I think the that's micro the versus piece. macro. I just, I think that's the only way you're really going to solve a lot of these challenges is it's treating everyone like an individual because every person, every employee has a very different vision about what they want for their career. Yeah, I I agree. And it's not mass producible. I I tried it. I tried to. And it it just doesn't work. Like you said, every individual has a different set of characteristics and different set of needs, wants and desires and, you know, has have different career progressions. If we all had the same career path, then we would be robots and not human beings. But it's more about how can we mass produce these types of conversations and these kinds of opportunities, which is, you know, changing the culture within larger organizations, or how can we, not we, but how can small organizations, startups, or or otherwise also incorporate this into their culture as well? The, the report talks about culture a little bit and about manager training to ensure that they're supporting their employees. And I can say that that is happening at the organization that I work at, but it's hard because that requires that all managers buy in or most managers buy into that and that most managers are you know, not just developing their own careers, but the careers of all the people below them. And, and then on top of that, increasing the sponsorship relationships and opportunities that exist. And, and then with the symptoms, allowing for more inclusive and unbiased hiring and promotions, like how, how do you ensure that that is happening? It does go down to culture, right? Yeah, the report laid out the findings, the solutions, and then culture as separate sections. 
But I think based on what I just heard from our discussion is that a lot of the solutions in our view were culture. I mean, maybe in some combination with some of the solutions laid out. For example, I can see how this report, I need to double check how many companies this went to. But if everyone that got this received this report all instituted a number of these things immediately, presumably there would be some incremental positive benefit. But I think the culture piece is really what we were just getting to. The micro level, every person has to be responsible for that on an individual level. I, Grace also talked about some technology that might help pulling AI into the space where you have to review a ton of resumes at the same time or try to pull data or recommendations in an unbiased or I should say less biased way. That's intriguing to me. I don't know. I don't have a lot of background of exactly all the technology in that space, but it like sparks some curiosity about if there's some viable solutions. So given we already addressed a lot of the cultural questions, I think we're in a pretty good spot to wrap up the discussion. It would also be interesting, I think, on a future episode to explore these issues in the context of startups and how the lessons from the data gathered in the study can inform, you know, culture and strategy for those newer organizations. Yeah, definitely. That would be an interesting episode for sure. I did actually just want to flag one additional article published by McKinsey a few years ago that I forgot to mention earlier because it hits on some of the solutions presented in this year's report, such as unconscious bias training and ensuring there are more women brought forward for promotion. The premise of the article from a few years ago was that there are five questions to ask or discuss with your leadership team. For example, not just we need more women in the pipeline, but where are the women in the pipeline? And not just that we should do unconscious bias training, but are we rooting out unconscious bias and how are we doing that? And so those are just two examples, but I think that was a good example of some ways to make some of the solutions presented in the article we just talked about more action-oriented. If every team could be having those discussions, I think that would be something that would really start to add value quickly. And I'll link the article in the show notes. Yeah, I agree. And while we certainly debated some of the solutions, right, I think our episode today goes to the value of this kind of report to generate discussion and raise awareness and inspire solutions. So also looking forward to working with you all to add to Michelle's list of action items and decide what else we, the four of us, and hopefully our four of a kind community can do to fix this broken rung that we talked about. Thanks again for tuning in. And remember, you can also find a link to the McKinsey and Lean In Women in the Workplace study in the show notes. And I think what also be interesting is feedback on any of this that people think has worked and they have experience with success stories here. Anyway, also follow Lean In on Instagram and they are at leanin.org. They have a saved stories category about the women in the workplace study, and they do post content often referencing the study or things along those lines. So if you're interested generally in the topic, they're a good follow. As always, if you'd like to reach us, send us an email at forofakindpodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled out F-O-U-R. And follow us on Instagram at forofakindpodcast for the latest news and updates. Lastly, don't forget to hit subscribe and rate us on Apple Podcasts wherever you get your podcasts. Bye. 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 Bye.